Welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. Years ago, we would often take a bunch of students up to the mountains for a weekend retreat. So um, if you've never had the experience of taking three or four hundred middle school students up into the mountains away for a weekend, you, you probably shouldn't if you don't like that kind of experience. I, I actually really happen to enjoy it, but um, we were getting ready for one particular um, weekend that we were looking forward to, but during the season, you got to understand, you know, our church had been through some crazy stuff, and most of you are familiar with that story. We'd had a nationwide scandal that kind of rocked the church, and that pastor was dismissed, and a year later, we had a shooting on our campus, and many of you have heard that story many, many times over, but um, we had a new pastor, and he's trying to navigate all those waters, and we're all trying to navigate all those waters, and it was a very, very difficult time for all of us. Not to mention, he's a new pastor, and so I'm curious. I'm not hired under this guy. Uh, what does he think of me, and does he want me to stick around? So I just need things to go right. So we're getting ready to take all these kids away on this Friday afternoon, and I called up the tech team of the church to find out if everything had been done as it was supposed to. And I talked to the guy who was responsible for lights, and he said to me, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to do that, which meant we had no lights to go with us on this thing. And so you can't see much, like there's no vibe or experience for all these young kids. And so I was a little bit, shall we say, unhappy. And so we had a conversation about it, and we hung up, and I called his boss. What's going on? And so me and his boss had a conversation, and we were, I don't know, angry. And so we had a huge fight on the phone. We were both yelling from our respective offices at each other, trying to cast blame and figure out who's really responsible for this problem. I hung up the phone with him, and I realized I didn't feel good. I don't mean just emotionally, I meant physically, I didn't feel right. And actually, my chest began to hurt, like very badly. And my arms, my extremities started to feel uh, weak and tingly and, and numb. I couldn't feel. And, and, and this overwhelming sense of dread came over me. And I honestly had the sense, just this thing that I couldn't deny, that I felt like I'm going to die. I literally just felt like, I think I might die. And so I'm not very smart. I just called my wife instead of the hospital. <laughs> I called my wife, Maria, this is what's happening. Surely it's not that big of a deal. I mean, I'm pretty young. I'm in fairly good health. Maybe one too many cheeseburgers, but I'm not that far off. And she says, hang up the phone. Here's a nine you can call and talk to the nurse. And so I did that, and I talked to the nurse. And she said, Mr. Parsley, you need to hang up the phone immediately and you need to call 911. Based on what you're telling me, I can't confirm what you're going through. You must hang up the phone and dial 911. Promise me you're going to dial 911. Oh, you don't understand. There's all these kids here. Parents are arriving. Uh, this is the church. I'm sitting here in my office. I can't, have a, I can't have an ambulance pull up right now. Mr. Parsley, you must. And so I hung up the phone. I dialed 911, and I called the ambulance on myself. They drove up, burst into my office, came in, put stuff all over my chest, did a barrage of tests on me, and said, your heart is fine. What you've experienced is a massive anxiety attack. 
And that wasn't the first time, actually, that I've experienced something like that. I've had other bouts with it, but never to that degree. And even through today, there are moments of my life where I have a little bit of a sense of, ooh, something's wrong. I feel like I might lose control here. Today, we're starting into a series that we're calling Overwhelmed. And the reason that we're doing this series is because, to me, as I look around, as I have conversations with you, it seems to me that this is the way that most people are living today. Overwhelmed. In fact, this series that we're going to do is a response to an Easter survey that we did where we had you fill out cards and tell us what you were interested in talking about, and this easily made the top three. So we're going to talk about anxiety and depression and stress and something that we call the dark night of the soul. And actually, we're going to bring in, on one of these Sundays, a mental health expert to talk to us and really help us kind of navigate some of these difficult waters. Now, we're not going to resolve all of your struggles in these areas in a few short weeks. I'm sure that's obvious to you. But maybe, just maybe, we'll be able to open the door a little bit, where we'll create a safe place where we can have conversations about these kinds of struggles. And maybe we'll be better able to just take care of one another as we walk through it. Because if the good news of Jesus Christ is anything, it is an invitation to be fully known and fully loved by a Savior. A Savior that offers hope through His broken body on the cross and through His broken body called the church. Please understand today, and I think it's pretty obvious to you, I'm not an expert on any of this. I'm a pastor, and I've done some research, uh, and I've also had lots of conversations through the years as I've counseled people who have walked through some of these areas. And I do believe that the Scriptures can help us to deal with anything at any time and in any culture. And that's an important idea because chances are you or somebody that you know today is dealing with anxiety, really struggling through the fight of anxiety. The National Institute of Mental Health says that anxiety disorders are reaching epidemic proportions in our culture. Nearly 50 million Americans are going to experience panic attacks, phobias, or anxiety disorders this year. Uh, that means your chest is going to tighten. You might feel some pain. You might feel lightheaded or dizzy. You might experience some of the things that I experienced. You might avoid people or situations or conversations. According to Edmund J. Bourne, who's the author of the Anxiety and Phobia Workbook, he says anxiety disorders are the number one mental health problem among women in the U.S. And they're second only to alcohol and drug abuse among men. There's a Pew survey that was done that said that 39% of Americans are more anxious today than they were just one year ago. Think about that for a second, please. 39% of Americans saying, I'm more anxious today than I was just one year ago. And it's not just adults that are struggling with this. It goes all the way down to our children. Actually, there's some research that's been done that says that the average child exhibits the same level of anxiety as psychiatric patients in the 50s. So people that we were giving counseling to in the 50s, now that's just the way our kids live. Author Tony Clark says, the United States is now the most anxious nation in the world. Congratulations, everybody, we made it. In the same article, Clark notes, stress-related ailments cost the nation $300 billion every year in medical bills and lost productivity. While our usage of sedative drugs keeps skyrocketing, just between 1997 and 2004, Americans more than doubled their spending on anti-anxiety medications like Xanax and Valium from 900 million to 2.1 billion. 
And it's well documented to us that we have an ongoing opioid crisis in our nation that's costing people not just lots of money, but also countless lives as well. The Journal of the American Medical Association cited a study, says there's an exponential increase in depression. People of each generation in the 20th century were three times more likely to experience depression than people of the preceding generation. And of course, technology and social media and our frenetic pace of the way that we work and the way that we play only makes all this worse. We have a problem with anxiety in our culture, and the causes are many. We've got consumer anxiety. Essentially, we just have decision fatigue. How many of you, you go to Netflix, and you just go, and you just pick the first show, and you just watch it? Not me. I don't ever do that. I scroll endlessly for about 30, maybe 40 minutes before I actually land on something to watch. Meanwhile, my kids and my wife are screaming at me, just pick something already. We wasted all the time just scrolling. We have too many things going on. I mean, why on earth do we need, I just saw a, a, a commercial for another brand of mayonnaise. How many mayonnaises do we really need in our culture? Why do I need 40 different kinds of toilet paper? There are too many decisions and we're fatigued. We feel anxious because of it. We have career anxiety. It can be really hard to find a job in this economy. Many of us are living in fear that we're not going to keep our job, that we might lose it. Millennials have been documented to graduate from college and not find the job that they were promised that they were going to get. It's difficult to find a job in this economy. Competition out there is crazy, and the pace of our work life is really crushing our souls. We have comparison anxiety. We're always feeling like we've got to keep up with the Joneses. You used to just have to put up kind of with the, the marketing, the professional marketing, but now the Joneses are just flaunting their stuff everywhere. Now they're all over Instagram. <laughs> Stop it, Misty. Now <laughs> Her maiden name is Jones. Um, they're all over Instagram feeds and Facebook feeds, and there's this people living these Pinterest perfect lives, liars. But we all are comparing our very worst days to their highlight reels on Instagram, and so we feel depressed because of how we're living. It's all a lie. We have connection anxiety. We're more connected than ever before, but still loneliness is at an epidemic level. We all desperately want community, but we can't figure out how we're going to get it, or we're just not willing to pay the price to go out and get it. Uh, We're starving for meaningful friendships, but then we're just suffering in in our silence. We have contentment anxiety, this general overall sense that we want more. If I could just get more, I would finally be happy. And things like minimalism and the tiny house movement are trying to curb that, but it's not nearly enough. And all that stuff just falls in the category of generalized anxiety disorder. And most of us feel its effect in one way or another. According to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the one used by physicians and mental health professionals, anxiety disorders have three common components. They're extreme fear and dread, She's experiencing it right now. Bless her heart. (laughs) Anxiety has extreme fear and dread even when there's no real danger. Emotional distress that interferes with your daily life and a tendency to avoid situations that bring on anxiety. Does that describe any of your life? But then there are more serious anxiety disorders, of course, that have many faces like panic disorder, like social phobias. You're terrified by other people's evaluation, interaction with them. Specific phobias, fixated on a certain object or animal or situation. Uh, Obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD. 
repeated rituals that we do to try to stave off some kind of, uh, counteract some kind of obsessive fear. PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, eating disorders like anorexia and bulimia, anxiety disorders with depression, swinging between intense emotions of worry and despair. Everybody, we live in a culture of anxiety and nobody's immune. I'm not immune. In fact, not just the story that I told you, but I've wrestled with several other of these things through the course of my life. I've wrestled with some social phobias. I've wrestled with a little bit of OCD. You can ask my wife about that. I've wrestled with some PTSD. I, when I was a younger man, I did struggle with a little bit of an eating disorder. Like, I've been through this stuff. And I just want to say here, I want to pause briefly and say that I believe that therapy and counseling and medication from a medical professional are all very helpful things and have really been a great benefit and been the solution for many people who are struggling. And so I'm all for that for you if you think that's the right solution. But many of us have grown up being told that we should be exempt from this. Well, you shouldn't worry. Why are you worrying? You're a Christian. You're not allowed to worry. Aren't you a person of peace? Don't you follow Jesus? And so if you can't get rid of it, if you do feel the sense of anxiety, then what's wrong? What happens when you can't find the peace? Well, something must be wrong with you, which only leads you to more guilt, which leads you to more anxiety, which leads you to more guilt, which leads you to more anxiety. And we go down this downward spiral of not knowing what to do with ourselves. I mean, I'm getting anxious right now just thinking about it. And I'm not sure that the church has always done a really good job, and I just mean the church at large, has done a really good job of talking about this. It's really important for you to know, it's really important for me for you to know, it's okay for you not to be okay today. Like when you show up here on a Sunday, when you go to a group, when you show up at Catalyst, it's okay for you to not be okay. You don't need to get perfect to show up here. Jesus didn't ask anybody to do that. In fact, he's the one that takes you on the journey to do that. He'll take you just as you are. And we'll do the same. It's okay for you to not be okay. And I think we've got to do better at having the conversations with honesty, free of guilt, free of shame or condemnation, and no judgment as to whether or not you're a good Christian or you're not. That needs to leave this discussion. And we need to be able to be honest and be able to help one another. Some of you were taught that anxiety is a sin. <clears throat> it isn't. Anxiety is an emotion. Now, it can lead you into sinful behavior if you don't deal with it. And so you decide you're going to deal with it with another six-pack. Or you're going to deal with it through substance abuse. Or you're going to deal with it by taking it out on your loved ones in some kind of abusive behavior. It can lead you to sin, but it doesn't have to do that. What are we supposed to do? Where are we supposed to start? I'd like to start today with a very familiar passage from the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. And it says, Do not be anxious about anything. Okay, Paul, whatever. <laughs> but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, right there, sandwiched in there, in verse 7, is what we all really need and what some of us in the room today, we desperately want. 
to just have the promise of peace. And actually what Paul's doing here, he's echoing Jesus' promise in John 14, 27, where Jesus himself says, peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I don't give as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Everybody, please don't skip over this. Oh, that's just some Bible stuff. No, 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 no. Don't skip over this. Jesus promises peace that can settle your troubled heart. He is the Prince of Peace. and He can settle your heart. He can give you a peace that goes way beyond what the world can give, what a relationship can give, what a substance can give, what a drink can give. He can go way beyond that. A peace that goes way beyond your understanding and won't be taken away. So most of us think that when we read this, that Paul's out of touch with reality. Paul, you don't get it, man. Be anxious for nothing? Okay. How about switching that up to be a little more realistic? How about be anxious a little bit less than you are now and that's good enough? How about, well, you can be anxious on Monday morning when you're looking at the work week, that's fine. How about, well, you can be anxious, but only when it gets really, really, really bad. No, Paul just says pretty flatly, be anxious for nothing. Like nothing? Like zip? Zero? Nada? Nunca? Nothing? Like that's it, never, I never get to be, at all, I never get to be anxious? That's not exactly what he means. Paul writes this phrase in the present active tense, which means he's talking about an ongoing state. What Paul is saying is, don't live your life in a perpetual anxiety. You're not supposed to live there. You are meant for something greater than that. Don't allow anything to cause you to be in perpetual state of worry or emotional distress. I like how Max Lucado says it in his book, Be Anxious for Nothing. He says, the presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. You can't get away from it, but you don't have to live in the prison. So, okay, I'm feeling anxious. What am I supposed to do if I'm weighed down with worry today? What am I supposed to do if I'm... If I have friends or family or neighbors who are weighed down with worry and experiencing deep anxiety. Well, today, from this passage with Paul, I just want to give you three practices for peace and anxiety. And listen, I'm, 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 I'm weary. I'm leery of just giving you simplistic and overly simple solutions. I don't want to do that today. But I at least just want to start the conversation. And I genuinely do believe that these are some things that can actually begin to help you. And the first thing, I think, from Paul, what he's talking about here, he says... Essentially, talk to God about everything. It's a place to start. Talk to God about everything. He says, in every situation, by prayer and petition. Talk to God about everything. Why? Because he loves to hear what you have to say. doesn't matter what it is. He loves to hear what you have to say. Look, I have three kids, and when they were little, they were the cutest. My daughter Aurora is sitting right here, and she was born, oh, I just wanted squeeze every little bit I could out of her. I just, I just loved her so much. And she was so cute. And she had this deep little raspy voice, you know, this cute little gravelly, deeper than she should have voice when she was little. And kids, when they're born, they, they can't say anything right. Like they, they mess everything up. Like our kids through the years, they said things like they couldn't say vanilla. They would say benilda. And I just loved it. They couldn't say remember. They would say benember when we, and I just loved it. I didn't even correct them. They just learned about 12 years old. They learned to stop saying it. <laughs> My daughter Reese, she was born on March 5th. And so none of them could say it. They would say, Farch myth. And we just let it go. Absolutely right. Farch myth. That's the day. Why did we do that? Because we just loved it. 
Because we just loved to hear what they had to say. Any of it, even if it was messed up, we loved hearing what they had to say. In the same way, when you are struggling, God wants to hear from you just like that. Now, there's years that go on when your, teen, when your kids become teenagers where they don't want to talk to you as much anymore. Some of you have experienced that. And they, they kind of they leave you alone. And you're, just, you're longing for it. Oh, I just wish I could go back to the time when they would talk to me and they'd come in my room and they'd just share stuff with me. I, just, I long for that day. And most of them come back around again as they grow a little older and mature. They'll come, they're coming back. But then when they come back, they step in and they always step in at the wrong time. I'm tired now. I don't want to talk. It's 12.30 in the morning. I don't want to talk. What do you do? You get out of bed. You go talk to them and you hang out when they want to talk. Why? Because this is your moment. This is your opportunity. Why do you do that? Because you love to hear what they have to say. No matter what, if it's good or bad, you just want to hear what they have to say to you. The reality is, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you are his child. And it doesn't matter what you're going through. He wants to hear what you have to say. In fact, he loves to hear from you. I can prove it to you from Romans chapter 8. The spirit you received doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received, it brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Papa, Daddy, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's kids. Now, if we're his children, then we're heirs. We're heirs of God, and we are co-heirs with Christ. We are brothers and sisters with Jesus. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Listen, God loves you without limits. And when you start to understand that, that he's a good father, and that he deeply cares about you, and he ain't mad at you, and he's not frustrated with you, and he's not tired of you, and if you had a refrigerator, that your picture would be smack dab in the middle of it because he loves you. And when you start to get that inside of you, now you want to speak to him. You want to share everything that's going on in your life. And you start sharing it, and what happens is your anxiety starts to decrease because your anxiety decreases as your understanding of the father increases as you get to know who he really is and how he really feels about you it begins to change and so now your prayer life is increasing and now you're working and you're praying and you're moving forward in christ and it's an amazing thing that happens to you but most of us we don't want to do that some people they just want to pray i'm just gonna pray in my head i'm just gonna i'm just gonna think my prayer <laughs> I don't know what's going on. It's not doing anything. I'm not talking about that kind of practice. I'm talking about the practice where you actually pray out loud. You actually worship out loud. You get outside of this battlefield of your mind and you get your mind and your mouth moving in the same direction towards Jesus. And if you'll do it, I can tell you, your anxiety will begin to to decrease. It'll quiet your anxious thoughts as God starts to settle your heart and quiet your mind as you speak to him. Second thing Paul gives us is he says, I want you to thank God in every circumstance. And I want you to do that because his goodness always prevails. Gratitude is an amazing tool to help us overcome anxiety, everybody. Because what it does is it reinforces God's sovereignty. What it does is it says, God, thank you for what's happening right now because I'm going to give you the honor and the glory because I believe you're in charge of the situation. You emphasize his sovereignty. You focus your mind and heart on his goodness and faithfulness because as you start doing this, you can't be full of fear and full of God at the same time. So gratitude can help you do that. Now, I don't mean that we should thank God for everything. That would be ridiculous. Whoa, I just had a killer wreck, lost my car. Hey, God, thanks for that. (laughs) Hey, my basement just flooded. Thanks, Lord. I don't mean that. It's ridiculous. 
Of course, that's ludicrous. We would never do that. We don't thank God for deadly hurricanes. We don't thank God for murders. We don't thank God for abuses. Those are the result of the broken world that we live in. It's the sinfulness of humanity. And yet, even in the middle of those kinds of circumstances, I have watched God come through and reveal himself in those circumstances and bring his goodness and life and healing to them. But what Paul, what Paul's talking about here is thanking God in every circumstance, not for every circumstance, inside of every circumstance, because you're convinced God is working in every aspect of my life, because you're focused on the reality God is willing and able to produce some good results here, and he's the only one that can bring something good out of something so bad. He's God, that's what he does. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Now what that means is, is that every fear, every wound, every violation that you've experienced, every bit of suffering, every mistake, every foolish act, all of it can and will be used by God for your benefit and his good purpose in your life. If. If you'll love and trust him. If you'll believe in his goodness if you'll embrace gratitude, if you'll worship him. But if you turn away, if you decide to go the opposite direction and embrace bitterness, to embrace cynicism, to live in hate, to seek revenge, I'm not sure what happens to you out there. But, if, but as I read the scriptures, I see that God is still working for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And he's creating opportunities for some of you right now in this moment to turn back and see his goodness in your life. And the third and final thing that Paul says from this passage, I think, that I want us to go away with today is, you need to think about what you think about. You need to think about the stuff that you're thinking about. Because every toxic thought that you have in your mind can and should be replaced. He says in verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul throws down the gauntlet. You are supposed to think about these things. Most of us don't live our lives there. My boss is such an idiot. That was an example, by the way. That wasn't me saying anything. Was, Please don't email Pastor Ross. It wasn't, that didn't come from anywhere secret or anything. That was just... I'm never going to amount to anything. I'm probably going to lose my job. My kids are such little terrors. Nobody likes me. Nobody cares. Nobody's on my side. That's where many of us just live. We just ruminate on all of that negativity all the time and spiral downward. Paul says, stop it. Replace that junk with things that are good. And actually, there's scientific evidence behind this. Dr. Mike Marino, his PhD, wrote a book called From Freedom from Anxiety and Depression. He says, the science of psychology examines our thoughts and behavior and their relationship. Sometimes we have a tendency to minimize our thoughts and dismiss their effect on our well-being. We say or hear things like, oh, that's just all in your head. When it comes to battling anxiety and depression, it's very important to understand that your thoughts and thinking patterns play a major role in shaping your struggle. Your thoughts can affect your physiology, your emotions, and your actions. What he's getting here to here is your thoughts are powerful. Anybody here afraid of bees? Like just scared of bees? I had a guy start talking about this in the first service and he pretty much panicked right there. 
Like, he was like, ah! And have you ever been sitting at a picnic table with somebody, and you're like, oh, is that a bee? And they, oh, dear God, and they just, they freak out and run away flailing. Have you ever experienced that? I have lots of times. They just spaz out. Why? Your fight or flight kicks in. Your heart starts racing. Your adrenaline starts pumping. Your instant, you have an instant physiological reaction, and it's triggered by your thought. Just a thought, and you're a spaz. He's also saying that your thoughts lie, especially when you're depressed or anxious. Your thoughts do not tell you the truth, and you should stop listening to them. And you don't have to believe every thought that you have either. You can evaluate them and decide, is this really worthy of my time and attention? And you can determine whether or not that you're going to let them stay and believe them. And every time you have a thought, your brain actually releases chemicals. So there are physiological and intellectual, emotional, spiritual implications from our thoughts. Your thoughts are creating your mind and your brain physically one way or another. So there's this important equation that I want us to understand as we're dealing with anxiety. And it's this, simple, your thoughts plus your feelings equal your actions. What goes on up here plus what you're feeling equals your actions. I like to say it this way, that uh, belief always precedes behavior. Which is why what you believe is one of the most important things about you. For some of us, our thoughts are just way off and it's just leading us into actions that are not helpful. So Dr. Caroline Leaf, she's a brain research scientist and a follower of Jesus, and she writes this about dealing with toxic thoughts. She says, if you realized how powerful your thoughts are, you'd never think a negative thought. You wouldn't do it. Thoughts are real, physical things that occupy mental real estate. Moment by moment, every day, you are changing the structure of your brain through your thinking. So when we hope, it's an activity of the mind that changes the structure of our brain in a positive and normal direction. She also says, when you objectively observe your own thinking with the view to capturing rogue thoughts, you, in effect, direct your attention to stop the negative impact and rewire healthy new circuits into your brain. What she's saying is the science bears out, you can think yourself better. Now imagine when the Spirit of God gets involved with all of that. I think she also said, and maybe some of you heard this, my grandma used to tell me, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from nesting in your hair. And that's true of your thoughts, too. You don't have to allow them to stay there. You can keep them out of your head. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every single thought to make it obedient to Christ. My kids are terrors. They're never going to make it in life. They're not going to amount to anything. I'm a failure as a parent. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Stop that. Take that captive. Pull it out. Wait a minute. Is that really true? No, because actually, I've got the Spirit of God in me. I've got the advocate. I've got the counselor. I've got the helper. He lives inside of me. My kids aren't done yet. Oh, they're terrors right now, but they're not going to be forever. I'm going to engage. I'm going to pray for them every morning, every night. I'm going to invest. I'm going to read stories to them. I'm going to tell them Bible stories. We're going to have conversations about I'm going to change. Do you see it? You start replacing what was going on. Well, I'll never amount to anything. No, is that really true? Is that really true? No, no, stop that. No, what does God have to say about you? No, he says that I'm his son. He says that I'm a daughter. He says he loves me deeply. He loved me so much. He sent his only son for me. I have great value. I have great worth. Listen, I've gone through seasons in my life where I'm just driving in the car and I'm just doing that. Oh, man, this day is going to be, wait a minute, is that really true? 
you know, people are driving beside me like, that man's crazy. <laughs> like, is that really true? That's not true. I'm not going to think that anymore. Instead, I'm going to say, no, this is going to be a great day. Why? This is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. God, I give you some stuff today. I'm thankful for you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the opportunities I have today. Do you see it? You can do that. But for some of you, it's going to take that level of commitment. Just start talking out loud. You'll be less anxious. People might think you're crazy, but you're going to be less anxious. And we don't care what they think. Why don't you guys come on up? We need to close. Take all of that negativity captive. Start thinking about what you think about. Take every one of those thoughts and say, wait, 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 wait. You bow to the authority of the name of Jesus. You don't get to stay here. Let's go back to this passage really quick. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Remember the promise. And what happens as you start doing these things? The peace of God that transcends all of your understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying here is God takes responsibility for the hearts and minds of those people who follow him. And the promise is, is that God will build a fortress. It says guard. That word guard means like have a garrison, an army protecting your heart, an army of God protecting your mind. That's the promise of peace that's available to all of us in Jesus. He will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, protecting us from the evil one. It'll transcend your logic, your schemes, any efforts to try to explain it, it goes beyond it. If you'll just decide, I'm gonna decide that I'm gonna start talking to God about everything out loud. I'm gonna thank God in the middle of every circumstance. I'm gonna start thinking about what I'm thinking about. And I'm not gonna let those thoughts stay anymore. Today, as we close, we got lots of time, we're early. And we've done that by intention because the way that we wanna end today is we wanna take a little time and we just wanna respond to God. And so we're actually just gonna go back into worship here. We're gonna sing song, maybe two. We're going to respond to what he wants to say to each of us. There's nothing better that I could do today than to just point you in his direction and to have you press in and to have you unload all the stuff that you've been carrying. Just in worship and adoration and gratitude for him. Maybe some of you, you'll need to just start right now. Maybe you just need to talk to him about what you've been going through. You haven't. You've just been holding it in. Stop it. Get it out. Start talking about where you're at while we sing this. Some of you maybe just need to start opening up with gratitude. God, I just, I want to thank you. In the middle of my circumstance, even though I don't know what's going to happen, I trust you. Maybe some of you need to start thinking about what you're thinking about. And right here in these moments, you need to take some of those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Jesus. Just let his spirit impact you, fill you, cleanse you, heal you as you open up and experience his presence. Would you all please stand with me here? I want you to stand so you can kind of engage a little more. And the reality is we have comfortable seats and they put you right to sleep. So if you're plagued by anxiety today, would you take the next several moments and run into the presence of Jesus and let him work in your heart? So Jesus, we submit to you. 
we cast all of our anxiety on you because you care for us. Receive our worship and adoration in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30. See you next time.